0: Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, homebrewer, and Advanced Cicerone. Welcome everyone to this episode of False Bottom Girls. I am Jen, that is Rachel, and today we are on part two of our sensory episodes, um, and today we're going to talk about biases in sensory, which is something that I, I find it really interesting. I think I mentioned in the last episode, I've been doing a lot of research on like what our brains, what's going on in our brains when we're tasting beer and perceiving it. And so the the biases in sensory have been, it's it's good, and we'll talk about this, it's good to understand what they are, but like even understanding it, you can't get rid of it. It's that mm-hmm. kind of thing where I was like, if I'm like, Rachel, you can't scratch your face for the entire time we're recording. Like the first thing your brain is like, my face itches, right?
1: I, I, I yeah, like you just <laughs> said that. And I was like, fuck that. <laughs> like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right now. Right. <laughs> um, it's like when I go, it's like when I take plane rides, like I have to be on the ILC or someone I know has to be on the ILC if I'm in the middle, because I. I'll, I'll have to use the bathroom 1 million times. If somebody I don't know is blocking me in now, yeah. if I'm in the aisle seat, I won't have to go at all, right. but if I'm blocked in, <laughs> cause I worry, <laughs> I don't want to bother people. And then I worry they're going to fall asleep and then I can't get in. Right. Oh, it's, I can't, it's every single time. I like, will spend extra money for that reason to get an ILC. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so serious.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I have seen people like the ILC, because you're exactly right. If you're the ILC person, you assume a certain amount of responsibility. Like you're going to have to get up if anybody in your row wants to get up. No matter totally what. Totally
1: fine with that. Totally yeah. fine with that.
0: I don't, yeah, I definitely but. don't mind. But yeah, I remember on a plane one time, the ILC person had fallen asleep and- the, yeah, I think the window seat person, maybe it was the middle seat person, but her solution was to stand on his chair, like on his seat on the edge and just stand up and like, just like walk across him. And I, like wow. at one point I was like, your junk is just right in this man's face. Like if he wakes up, he's going to be like, what is happening to me right now? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, it was one of those I, things I that I'm like, that. How, how do you, how is that the solution you came up with?
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. You have a, you got to stay awake if you're in the ILC. I get if it's a really long flight, fine. Like I'll wake you up, but no, I'm, I'm typically, you know, three hours. I could stay awake just fine. Mm-hmm. I have no problem. I'm like, yep, you need to get up. Uh, okay. I'm out of the way. I'm out of the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so like, don't want to bother anyone.
0: Yeah, exactly. As long as they stay
1: out of my space.
0: Yeah. Oh Put yeah.
1: Armrest down. I was just oh. saying, yeah,
0: if you get the, the businessman elbow on the armrest uh. and it's just like, all right, well I will, it's on, I have, I'm waging a very passive aggressive war with you this entire fight that you probably yeah. won't even be aware of, but I will feel very satisfied <laughs> about <laughs> I'll show you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It's, it's a, trick that
1: our mind plays on us and you have to teach yourself to uh, recognize it and ignore it or do whatever you need to do to get past it
0: right right and so that's that's what we'll talk about today we're going to talk about a few different biases that can happen so we'll talk about confirmation biases information errors and then there's a few other kind of like odds and ends biases that we'll talk about, and this is really important as a beer taster. If you're evaluating beer, it's also really important if you are like a sensory panelist, if you're setting up sensory panels, um, if you are the one who is asking for the sensory data from people, it's really important to be aware of the different ways that are, you know, these biases show up in how we're tasting and evaluating beer so you can at least, not necessarily correct for it, but you can see or infer like, okay, this might be what's happening here, which is also why when you're doing a sensory panel, it's really important to not just have the brewers on your sensory panel. I think that's a common mistake a lot of people make. Um, and you know, in some places that that's absolutely like brewer should be part of the sensory panel and in some places it's, it's, that may be your only option. And that happens, but then that's also where like understanding these biases even more comes into play. And it's important to recruit from as many different areas of the company as you can to help kind of correct some of these biases that may be happening. But a lot of these today that we'll talk about, like I've done as a home brewer, I've done as a panelist, I've done as a beer judge, and I've seen them all happen. And uh, it's, it's helpful to know, so you can kind of spot them. But again, that doesn't mean that you, you're you going to be able to completely correct for them. Um, so when we're talking about biases and sensory bias, we're talking about this, these biases that can occur in our cognitive processes without our knowledge. So we don't even know that it's happening. Um, and this, This next point is very, very true um, for everyone everywhere in life, that people, we are very good at perceiving the biases of other people, but being completely unaware of our own. And I remember when like the brief stint, when I worked as a family law attorney and we obviously, we did a lot of like divorce cases. So we had to look at people's financials and you would, um, uh, this firm also catered to like a higher income clientele. Mm-hmm. So looking at like spousal support and child support and, you know, like what kind of, um, maintenance, like, you know, like lifestyle maintenance people needed. And you, like, we would hear clients say like, well, I'm, I'm always broke. And then like, we would look at their financial statements and be like, well, you go out to lunch every single day and you, you do this, this, and this. And like, no wonder, you know, because it's really easy to look at somebody's finances and say something like that. But then we would also joke, like, it's so great that we're so good money managers for everybody else. <laughs> um, yeah. And we totally do all of these things that we're telling <laughs> yeah. other people to do. Yeah. Also well, as long why- you're not complaining
1: about it. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> also why uh, our, this is somewhat related to- us just because this is beer and brewing podcast, but I remember um, one of the paralegals was like, I started paying cash at the liquor store after I started working here, because you're looking through people's like financial documents and you'll be like, oh, you went to the liquor store again. (laughs) She was like, I started working here and I started paying cash at the liquor store. (laughs) That is so smart. (laughs) But yeah, you know, when we, when we understand biases it allows us to limit the impacts that they have on our perceptions and it' can also again particularly when you are designing like a sensory panel you can design your panels to eliminate potential sources of bias yeah so Which like a, i
1: did not even know was a thing until we took our roxa class yeah because it was so accurate like and I know you're going to explain how what you mean but and so I'll just shut up and let you do that. But you're absolutely correct
0: when it yeah. comes to
1: sensory. You don't think about these things,
0: right? Right. Well, and we learned that. I mean, I you know I did the the applied sensory program with UC Davis, and that was a big part of it. Is sensory panel design and how how you can not even how you or not only how you can eliminate these biases, but how you have to be careful as a sensory panelist. Not to set up a panel to get the result that you want and so it's like how you know kind of checking yourself as well yeah. gosh i don't
1: even know how to set up a panel to get the result i want let alone how to catch myself to not do that <laughs> right
0: <laughs> so wow yeah I'm
1: learning a lot today
0: yeah right <laughs> so so our main types of sensory bias that we'll talk about today are confirmation bias. So this is seeking out information that supports or validates your beliefs. Um, If you have extended family on social media, you are aware of (laughs) confirmation bias, Like my Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, You also have information error. So that's judgments that occur by subconsciously using a piece of information or knowledge to impact decisions rather than relying on perceptions. I am very bad at this. I have lots of stories about this when we get to it and then the, the presentation order. So your sample order greatly impacts perception. And for me, that's one of the biggest things when I go to, like, if you judge at JBF or world beer cup or homebrew con, they bring out all of your flight at one time Mm. and you taste through them and you're encouraged to taste in a different order. Like you don't, everybody doesn't start with the same one because there's first sample bias. And that's kind of the biggest thing with judging homebrew competitions where you get one at a time. A lot of times when I'm the, the head judge of the flight at the end, I'll be like, okay, let's go back and revisit the first couple of samples and see if we think that they still deserve the scores that they have. Mm -hmm. and generally speaking they do because most samples are going to be somewhere in the middle right of that bell Mm -hmm. curve but it's and I understand all of the logistic constraints on um on homebrew competitions that make it not easy for them to be able to do something like that yeah um like they don't have giant teams of stewards and you know and like seller masters who can do that but uh No, I've definitely gotten
1: like sample four before and been like, well, snap, this one is better than two, not as good as three, but now I need to score it in the middle of those two.
0: Right, exactly. That's not the
1: ideal way at all to be judging beer.
0: Right, right, exactly. But, you know, it's, we do the best we can with what we have, but in a perfect world, you would have all of your samples in front of you. And that's what I also do when I set up sensory panels, or if I'm doing an off-flavor training, I give, like, everything has a random three-digit number, Mm -hmm. and I, and nobody has the same order, but I don't tell them that. Like, everybody just, it's like, here, get your samples, put your sample, you know, one, two, three on the one, two, three spot on your mat, and then, you know, go ahead and taste, and that, doing that helps eliminate that first sample bias as well. So, when we're talking about confirmation biases, the first one is mutual suggestion. I think this is the most common one. Um, And this is the one that is most likely to just send me through the roof. Like I am immediately enraged. If I sit down next to a person, I'm like, oh, you're one of these people. Um, So this occurs when one taster's opinion of a beer influences the opinion of other tasters. So that's going to, that can trigger an expectation error. Uh, So this causes panelists to anticipate the presence of the named flavor. And subsequently, they're going to find evidence of that flavor, whether it's there or not. Once your brain hears it, it's going to look for it. It's also going to be very difficult to not like to not find it, to be like, shut up, brain, don't pay attention to that. Like we just talked about, then your brain's like, but this is all I want to pay attention to Mm -hmm. right right now. Um, So that's why. It's important when you're judging, Um, it's especially important if you're doing an evaluation like a Cicerone exam or something to avoid making faces or noises during panels or avoid saying like your first impression of something. Um, And I actually did this on accident the other day. We had some friends in town and we all went out for beers and one of my friends had a hazy IPA and, you know, we were like tasting each other's beers. And I smelled it and I was like, oh, onions and garlic. And like took a drink and like handed it to my husband to try. And he was just like, son of a bitch. Like <laughs> no, all I get is <laughs> onions and garlic. And I was like, well, it's not a like it's not a bad I wasn't saying it as a negative thing. Yeah. Because in a lot of hazy IPAs, that onions and garlic flavor is pretty common in like in the really dank kind of hops. Every
1: everything you just said in that last sentence just makes me cringe so hard.
0: <laughs> yeah. But then everybody was just like, now all we taste is onions and garlic. And I was like, yeah, that's I'm, disgusting. I'm sorry. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I, and I, you know, it was one of those things that I was like, I realized that I should not have said that. And well,
1: uh, it's okay. You weren't judging beer,
0: you're
1: right. <laughs> but <laughs> right. you're, you're right. The person that sits down and judges beer, even, even like in a homebrew beer competition setting, because one table's doing this style, Another table is doing that style. And all it takes is for one random person, doesn't matter where he is, to be like, oh, t- oh, or just make that noise in that face. And you're just like, shut up. Like, yes. what? you don't understand like how, there's a common courtesy here that you are breaking.
0: Right, exactly. Right? And 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 it is. It's, it is, it is is. your biasing other like people around you. And I've had this happen at a competition before. There is- One judge in North Carolina um, who when I see this person, I will try to be as far away from them as possible because they are very bad at this. Like they are a processing everything out loud, very loudly and sharing a table with them one time. We weren't even judging the same flight, but they, you know, they smell a beer and they said like uh, lilac and honey or something and said like said it out loud very loudly and the person I was judging with, we're judging like IPAs or something. And yeah. like, she's evaluating, and she was like, well, I get lilac and honey. And I was like, no, you don't. And like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I don't like to tell people that yeah. what they're perceiving is incorrect. But I was like, this person literally just said that very loudly. And it, I, I, and I don't even think that it had occurred to her that that's what she, that's why she was saying that. But I was just like this, we're judging IPAs. You do not get lilac and honey this person over here just very loudly and very incorrectly said that and that bias your opinion of the beer that you're you're judging right now I've judged with that person before (laughs) but that's why it's (laughs) it's really important when you're evaluating to be quiet yes not to make faces um or noises and you know because as soon as you do that uh, the people around you, their brains can't even help it. And so like you've already created this bias. Um, so the, the next one is the expectation error. And this is when you use previous knowledge of a sample to form a sensory judgment rather than using actual sensory perceptions. Oh,
1: I have been so I'm so bad about it. I'm I'm
0: so bad (laughs) about it too. I, and uh, that's, that will happen
1: a lot with style discrimination. Yes. As well oh, man. exactly
0: exactly and humans are very bad at smells um they're very bad at detecting smells they're very bad at describing smells just as a species that's that's a fact about us and this expectation error really comes into play and you're exactly right with like style discrimination mm-hmm. um what i tend to do is particularly with style discrimination is if I get a sample, I'll be like, well, I think it's this, but I don't think there's any commercial examples available around here of this. So it can't be that. Yeah, and yeah. Like, <laughs> using yeah. that to inform my opinion when it's like, <laughs> no, you need to be judging the beer in front of you. Yeah, And like, and if you think it's a GOSA, then say that it's a GOSA and don't let your, the logical part of your brain talk you out of that just because you're like, "Well, I don't think that you could get that style around we, here." We
1: we do that. We did that when we were taking our master sister and we went to the freaking beer store to see yeah. what the state sold and we probably shouldn't have. <laughs> right. Well,
0: that's yes. I I I agree and disagree with that yeah. because I was the one who said we should do it. So. <laughs> but some of these like another way that this can come can come about is if you as a panelist know that a beer recently had a fermentation issue, Yeah, maybe you note fermentation flaws that aren't there. So you're using that external information to make your sensory judgment rather than what you're actually tasting. Um, And so that this one is really, really hard because the kind of the recommendation for that is Avoid search, searching for sensory cues that may not actually be present in the sample, because as soon as you've done that, you can't just turn it off and you can't erase that from your memory and start over. So that is expectation error. And that's also, like I mentioned with the mutual suggestion, if somebody says lilac and honey, that's going to trigger that expectation error where you're like, oh, there must be lilac and honey in here. Mm-hmm. And the next one is selective perception. And this one I have a very specific story about, but this occurs when you fail to notice, you forget, or you ignore information that falls outside of what your expectations or beliefs are. Again, if you are, if you have extended family on Facebook, you have seen this. <laughs> <Extended family>. <laughs> <laughs> um, this so this process can happen subconsciously because the brain gives greater credence to expectations rather than actual experiences. So again, for as smart as our brains are, as much as they can do, they are also real dumb and it's really easy to fool our brains. So one one example of selective perception is if you're doing a sensory panel and you overlook an unexpected flavor, if you're doing a true to target panel, Um, Because you've tasted the beer multiple times before. So you walk in and you're like, oh yeah, it's, you know, it's our American IPA. This is what it's going going to taste like. And you taste it and you're like, yep, that's what it tasted like. And you walk out and it's like, well, but there's like a diacetyl issue there or Mm -hmm. the bitterness was off. And I did that at GABF last year. We were judging Czech lagers and I like I was just looking at the guidelines, only looking at the guidelines, tasting the sample. Does this like, you know, how do these samples go to the guidelines? And then when we were ready to do the discussion, everybody was like, "Man, a lot of these have so much ethyl butyrate in them, like so much like pineapple flavor um, that like we may want to say like they should add that to the guidelines because all of these are really good examples, but then they also have this flavor." And I was like, "Totally," and I didn't note any (laughs) ethyl butyrate. I didn't write it down anywhere because I was only looking at the guidelines. Yeah. And how well does this beer match these guidelines and anything that wasn't in the guidelines and that wasn't a flaw? Yeah. I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me. And like, that's, that's what happens with selective perception. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. And I remember being like, uh, okay, there's a, there's a bias that I, that I have that I've been able to pick up and I need to remember to judge the beer in front of me for what it's offering me and like and do that and then go to the guidelines but again it's really hard to do that and to just judge you almost just have to judge it based on like what you think it's supposed to taste like first and then compare it to the guidelines
1: i remember one time at nota this is funny i love this story.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I was hoping you would tell this story sometime.
1: Oh my God. Okay. So when I worked at Noda, we, this is, uh, we're given, I uh, guess, a couple samples or just maybe just one sample of what was supposed to be hop drop. And uh, they're like, okay, we just want to evaluate this hop drop, see how close it is to brand. Um, so I'm like, I'm like drinking it. I'm like, this does not taste like hop drop, but it's fucking delicious. Whatever this is, right? And I'm like, so at the end of it, I was like, I don't know what's wrong with this hop drop, but it's fucking delicious. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it, the odor got so bad because it was (laughs) it was another brewery's IPA that had just entered the market, and they were calling it like Charlotte IPA. Just right. Go ahead and give that away. Right. So it uh, so they were, you know. No, I was pissed for some reason <laughs> for some stupid reason so I'm just like oh I don't, I don't know what's going on but this is great I love this beer we should always make it like this like just going <laughs> off and off about this beer. the owner he just like left the tap room he just like walked out <laughs> but left hand it's actually a really good point it's kind of like like uh brand I don't even know what to call it like uh like left hand on our sensory panels, we would always like have be given the brand description that left hand puts on, you know, the packaging mm-hmm. and then given the sample. And it's like, okay, how well is the sample matching up to our brand description, which is kind of exactly the opposite of right. ignoring your bias. It's like, no, no, you focus only on what this says. Right. Every time I'd be like, sawtooth is not this color that you describe. Like I was, it would be like my hill I died on every single time, but I just thought that was so funny. It's like, you know what? Don't ask questions. You don't want to know the answers
0: to. Right. Right. Exactly. And that, that happens a lot with sensory and one of the sensory programs I helped set up, you know, a, a good portion, a high enough proportion of our panelists failed a certain sample that it was like okay, we need to make decisions now and look at this because 80% of the panelists have said that this is not true to Target, that this yeah. is out of spec. So, And then it was like, well, we don't want to hear that. And I was like, well, it's, I don't care that you don't want to hear yeah. it. Like, if you don't want to hear it, then why do we have a sensory panel?
1: Yeah, exactly. The Prime example, last week, had a beer that developed a metallic off flavor. It was clear as day to me. I knew we were going to dump this beer. And, you know as Jeff as the money man it can be a little bit harder of a pill to swallow and he's like well he's like okay it's like there a little bit I guess I guess I can like at first he's like I don't taste it and I'm like you're fucking telling me (laughs) that you this beer does not taste like pennies to you blood in your mouth it's like clear he's like well maybe just like a little bit but it's barely there I'm like it's not that's not how it works it's either there or it's not and (laughs) it's not like a little bit and I'm like, but we're going to, and it was our collaboration with Gilda. I was like, but I'm going to take it to Gilda because it's their beer too. They should know, they should taste it before I decide to dump it. So, you know, like we go over there, the brewer, he's like, yeah, I get this a little bit. Like I am getting it clearest day. I don't know what this little bit is about, but anyways, and just like, well, it's just a little bit. And I'm like, he's like, do you want to take it to Chad? at Noda and get a second opinion. It's like, I don't need a second opinion. I don't I don't even need this opinion. (laughs) Yeah. I make the decision. I know what this beer tastes like and we're dumping it. Right. I I knew that from the moment I sipped it, I'm over here for you, husband. (laughs) Golly. Like, don't tell me, like, I don't need to hear someone else be like, it's there, man. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And if we go to Chad at Noda, he's going to be like, yeah, it's there. Like, calm the F down. I'm highly trained in this. Okay. Right. Right. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Exactly. So the like the next category of of biases we'll talk about is information errors. And I, I keep saying like with so many of these that it's it's so it's it's just hard. I mean, again, like for as much as our human brains can do, they're real dumb and they're, mm-hmm. they're easy To fool. So the first one we'll talk about is a logical error, and logical error is when a taster builds an association in their mind between two distinct characteristics. So an example of this is um, hop aroma and hop bitterness, right? So you, those are kind of the the same the same thing. So if you're getting hop aroma, then you're going to look for bitterness, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to like, you can have hop aroma and no perceived bitterness or very low perceived bitterness, or you can have very high perceived very bitterness and very low hop aroma or anything in between. Yeah. But we're so used to, you're talking about hop aroma and hop bitterness that you will like infer bitterness maybe where it's not there just because you taste the hop aroma Mm -hmm. Um, or you, you perceive the, the hop aroma. So one way to avoid this is by training on individual attributes So training people on bitterness, you know, like training, like this is taste versus this is aroma. And we did that in the Aroxa class. um, And I, and we've done this when we've done trainings before too, a good way to do that is just plug your nose, Mm -hmm. take a sample in your mouth and see what that, what you taste like, is it sweet? Is it bitter? Is it sour? And, you know, get that sensation in your mouth and then release your nose to get that retronasal aroma. And that, that's like the easiest and quickest and best way really to train on individual attributes to make sure that you are not um, combining and creating that logical error.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's very hard. Yes. It's not easy. You know, right. you have to really think about it. And, and also you gotta think about like, you can't just do this anywhere like you kind of have to make an environment you can't go to the bar like a huge busy really loud bar sit at the bar and then do this you're not you're going to have so many distractions plus you're going to look weird but you're right. going to have so many distractions The this the atmosphere is not correct who knows what you're smelling you know you if you're going to try to do all these things and really get down to it make sure that your environment's appropriate for it too
0: right exactly and i know um We've, we've talked to people before who are like, went in for a Cicerone exam, or I remember taking a, a BJCP exam at White Labs in Asheville, which is a great classroom space. And like, they're very generous in donating that space, but the classroom is right above their wood-fired pizza oven. And I've been there, you know, taking an exam and it smells delicious. It smells like wood-fired pizza, yeah. but that smell fills the room. Yeah and makes it difficult again like you can't just like ignore no that smell like that or you know be in places and um uh, they're doing like it's like the cip day mm-hmm. in the brew house mm-hmm. so you smell like not bleach but like you smell like cleaners yeah. and chemicals yeah right so that can be really hard um Especially and, if but, you're t-
1: taking an exam, like especially an expensive one, you're already stressed
0: out. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. And then that's just like, okay, again, like, here's this thing that's bothering me and it's going to be the only thing I can focus on. And it's mm-hmm. going to like throw me off my game kind of thing. Um, but that's also why it's important when you're, if you're doing palate training, that you develop a routine for your brain, like to tell your brain, we're evaluating beer now. Because then you can, once you have that routine, it does make it easier. Not that you still would go to a busy bar and like, hold your nose and drink <laughs> beer. But if you have that routine to signal to your brain, this is what we're doing right now, it makes it really easier to block out those kinds of distractions. And that's something that I, I know... I don't think we talked about it in the, the Ruxa class that we did the virtual one, but on the in-person one, uh, Dr. Simpson talks about like how, what his routine is because he's like, I mean, he gets called as an expert witness for things and, you know, does is quite frequently tasked with evaluating something when there's like a crowd of people watching Yeah, and, you know, and being able to just go through that routine for yourself and like, then you can just block everything out
1: oh we should tell our listeners the story that he told us about the brewery who had chlorophenol and like the whole town had chlorine in the water everybody was like blind to it at the brewery because oh they were that's so used right to it.
0: yes yeah yeah yes. He
1: so when we we're taking this class he tells a story i guess he was hanging out at an event or at a brewery or tasting right. someone's beer at <laughs> I a festival this now he was like The brewers were like, Oh, well, so what do you think of this beer? And he's like, All right, well, honestly, it's got chlorophenol. And they're like, What? What are you talking about? Like, what? We've never ever in our whole life like and they were like, No, that is not correct. You are like they were very insistent. You're like, get him, get him in the car, we're going to the brewery. And he's like, Okay, here we go. And (laughs) he goes to their brewery. (laughs) And they figured out that the whole town had this level of chlorine in it that basically everybody was blind to it right and nobody detected this in their beer until he they like you know someone else who doesn't live there did and you know like this is Dr. Bill Simpson I mean right he he knows what he's talking about right and he's just like yeah it's there and they were like but it's just so funny the way he tells it because they're like no these guys did not believe me
0: right he is a master (laughs) storyteller But yeah, where he yeah, he was like suddenly I'm being hustled into the back of this car and driven yeah. off somewhere, and, I, <laughs> and all I like, I just know that they're angry at me and like, <laughs> what's gonna happen? Oh, yeah. that's
1: the best. That would so, be me.
0: Yeah. Get in the car. We're going to the brewery right now. Look <laughs> <Check> at this out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, our um, our next. Information error, we'll talk about it as a halo effect. And the halo effect occurs when a positive evaluation of one characteristic boosts the rating of other independent characteristics. So, um, appearance attributes are really big for uh, halo effects. So, if you have a German Pilsner that has brilliant clarity, you might rate the crisp finish higher because it looks nice. You know, and I know I've written that before on score sheets where Like if a beer looks really pretty, I will write like, this is a very pretty beer. But then it's also like, this makes me excited to drink it. And then, you know, but you do, it looks nice. And like, it's just like, well, this, this looks nice. I want it to taste nice too. And so maybe I'll overlook some, some things in it. Um, And I actually see this, this halo effect happening. This is not a bias that happens in sensory per se, but I see this a lot with breweries, where maybe people like the owners or they had one good beer from them that's like a really good beer and everything else sucks. But they're still like, no, if if I don't like the taste of it, it must just be because it's me because I like this brewery or I like these people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is not not exactly the halo effect in the the, yeah. the same sense. <laughs> But there have definitely been a couple of breweries where I'm just like, I don't understand why you keep saying this is one of the best breweries in the state, because we've had to send back almost every beer from them. And it's like, yeah, but they're like, they're really good. It's like. Good at what? Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Good at liking the same jam bands that you like. Okay, Yeah. Like that's not that that doesn't a brewery make. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So with the halo effect, you can avoid this again, um, similar to the logical error you can Avoid it by evaluating different components individually. So sweetness, bitterness, acidity. Again, though, it's really hard because as soon as you see that beer, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, this this looks nice. It must taste nice kind of thing. And you can't just be like, now, now, brain. Yeah. We're going to be very fair about all of these other things. I know. I had a brewer bring me his cantaloupe
1: kettle sour or something one time. He's like, all right, I want you to smell and taste this. And I'm like well i smell butyric acid and he's like but it but it fades and it tastes okay and i'm like what's your point (laughs) (laughs) it smells like baby vomit right you think people are just gonna be like but it tastes okay like you think people are gonna taste it
0: like (laughs) yeah yeah well and that's also a really interesting um thing that i i don't remember if we've talked about this on here before, but also the, you know, the language that you're using to describe what something tastes like sets up like that can be an expectation as well. So the butyric acid made me think of that specifically because you could have for butyric acid, you could say, um, Parmesan cheese. That's what they vomit.
1: That's what it is. Yeah. I knew there was a positive attribute that some people get. I do not.
0: Right. 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 Exactly. You're right. And um, and Dr. Simpson talks about that with giving people the same standard, the four MMP, and saying that it's either caddy or it's black currant. Yeah. And the people who were told that it was caddy were like, boo, hiss, we hate this flavor. And the black currant people were like, oh, this is really good. We really like it. And it's like, well, you both, you have the exact same thing. And yeah. so, and then like if you swapped and we were like, okay, now you have the caddy and you have the black currant, then people were gonna be like, oh, yeah, the blackcurrant one is way better. And it's like, it's the same thing. And it's not because you're trying to trick anybody, but it's yeah. like language matters. And I, saved,
1: I saved that caddy one for Jeff for after the class. I was like, here, try this. And he was like, oh, my God, what the
0: fuck are you drinking?
1: And I was like, <laughs> I <was> like, gotcha.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, see, I actually bought. Um, so ribenia is uh, like a soda, a blackcurrant flavored like soda in the UK. So like we in the U S have kind of have a, not a problem, but we don't have the same exposure to black current. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I've talked to friends in the UK where like, they're like, Oh yeah, we forget you don't have ribina, which is like very much a, a, a thing. Right. Yeah. Um, like I was watching a show the other day and like the, the grandma was like, what's on your shirt. And he's like, Oh, I spilled ribina on it. And I was like, I know what that means, but I ordered some because, you know, I was like, okay, well, if, if I'm looking for black currant flavor, and, and and these people are saying like this is this is black currant flavor, uh, then I then I can taste that. And it, like as soon as I opened it and smelled it, I was just like, oh yeah, this is caddy. Like yeah. it's still black currant, but now like I, now I just have this giant thing of it. So like I put it in my kombucha, and it tastes very very good. But sometimes it's like, sometimes my brain is like caddy rather than black currant. I'm kind of yeah. like, Ugh. but yeah. most of the time it's just like yum yum yum. Yeah. And
1: language is really important too. I remember that class because like, I feel like I can't, I feel like there's another example, but the one I kind of remember is like the word biscuit has two different meanings in England versus America. Mm -hmm. And they, and like Aroxa uses that word biscuit to describe some of their off flavors and is not what we think of as biscuit here. Right. And that was interesting to me because I was like, oh no, that's why you guys keep using biscuit.
0: Right. Like, it out.
1: Like- <laughs> right exactly
0: and generally speaking with things like that because I've heard people say like well do you think they mean this or they mean that and it's like well if it's talking about an English beer and they describe it as biscuity then they're talking about like the digestive cookies like a shortbread yes. cookie if you know you're like there's there's probably not a world it's not like in dough which, bread like for right us. we're not talking about yeah. jingles
1: when yes. we're, you know when we're talking about biscuity, like that's not <laughs> yes. it's
0: not the same thing and so generally speaking if you're wondering just look at what region is like what where beer. that beer is yeah. from um, and that that can inform it but yeah that isn't a good descriptor because it has multiple multiple meanings and so you exactly. should have your descriptors should mean one thing as universally as possible so biscuity is not a great one because Particularly, you know, we're in the American South, like biscuits have a very different
1: connotation
0: and everybody has a very different experience with it than in the UK. We'll have our um, wrap up with our last couple of biases and effects. This one is one of my favorite ones It's called the IKEA effect. And this is where you tend to place a higher value on things that you have created. For a brewer, this means that you're subconsciously overlooking faults or inflating a beer's rating because you you were involved in making it and uh, I have done this so many times and that like the Ikea effect is holds true about everything like I know people joke like salads taste better when somebody else makes them and it's like well it actually yeah. <laughs> does it like it's you don't have to do the effort so that's that's definitely true but like if you're cooking a meal, you know, if you're the one who's been like standing in the kitchen for a couple of hours, cooking this meal is going to taste better to you because you were the one who created it. And you're, when you're sitting down to eat, what you were experiencing is also taking into account, like mincing the garlic, you know, and all of this stuff and like the entire experience. And this is kind of the reward of it. So the IKEA effect happens a lot. And I know I Last year, I entered a beer in a competition, and when I got my score sheet back, both of the judges said that the beer had diacetyl in it. And I was like, uh, "No, it doesn't." <laughs> and like, I was I was completely shocked because I was like, "I can taste diacetyl, and this beer does not have diacetyl." I still contend that they are incorrect. Maybe something went wrong in the bottling. I don't know, but I like, I was I wasn't upset that they said that. I was like how would I have missed diacetyl at the level they're describing on the score sheet? And so like I got the beer and I, you know, I tasted it like straight off the tap. And then I was like, well, I'll let it sit and warm up for a little while and, and see if like, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it would come out. And now I'm specifically looking for diacetyl. And I, I still couldn't get it. I know who both of the judges are. And I, (laughs) and this is my Ikea effect still in effect yeah <laughs> that I'm just like I don't I don't think that that was there but whatever you know that like it's not it's not a big deal but I know that I've done that where I've entered a beer and I'm like they're probably just gonna call me because everybody's gonna fucking flip out about how good this beer is <laughs> and it's gonna get best of show and I know that you know this Rachel too like you enter a competition and it's like oh I get pissed I'm when I don't win gold I across get pissed the board. <laughs> Yeah. And and then it's like, how could you possibly and then like you get your score sheet back or, you know, you taste some of the other beers and it's like, okay, like
1: I have literally get it like like NC Brewers Cup like one year. Just like, oh, all right, well, we won we won a medal for this one. I'm like, just one. It's a fucking state competition. Just be racking it up. Like I was so pissed. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yes, that is, that is very much the mindset of somebody who does not enter homebrew competitions because like, I remember going to the first, the first beer I entered in a competition and like we, it was in Chicago and we went to the award ceremony, like drove out into the suburbs and went to the award ceremony because we were convinced we were going to win and we had only entered one beer and you know, it was like third place didn't say my name I was like well of course not <laughs> and then second place didn't say my name and it's like obviously and then first place it was like where basically I was like about to up, like, go accept my award and then they didn't say my name and we were both like what happened like what possibly could have happened and then I entered more homebrew competitions I'm like oh yeah I I get it now most of the time I, I'll be like somewhere in the middle, sometimes I win ribbons, sometimes I don't, but uh, the Ikea effect is a, is a very big part of that. And that's also why it's really important in your breweries, if you can, to have people who aren't on the brew team on your sensory panel, because they don't have that connection to the beer that you do.
1: I know yesterday we released uh, two brave noises done by our homebrewer friend, Andrew, done here at the brewery. <laughs> And his family comes and like some of them they just don't like IPAs. You know how that is for some right. people. So uh and it's not it's a it's it's a beer. And uh <laughs> gives it to this guy to try and he's like, Oh well, it's not too bad. I'm like just <laughs> like and Andrew. <laughs> Andrew gets it. He's like, "Okay, right. it's, I'm like, it's actually a really delicious beer. We yeah. sold a lot of it yesterday, uh, but, it's just, but yeah, I've definitely seen you know brewers get on Untapped, right? their beers five stars. You're like, this beer is not five stars. No, like, come right, on.
0: right, <laughs> yeah. And then so the last, the last one we'll talk about today is the default effect, and this happens when." you're given a choice between two or more options, you favor the default response when one exists. So this is really important. If you're doing true to target panels, you will, um, and this is similar to the other one that we talked about where you just kind of disregard things that are outside of what your expectations are. Um, So if you're coming in, so when we're talking about true to target, it's where you've got your guidelines for what your beer should taste like. And you're tasting the beer and saying, does it match this? And this is if you come in and it's like, you know, here's here's cafe latte milk stout. And it's just like, yep, tastes like it. Because if I say no, I'm going to have to say why. And, you know, and I'll, <laughs> like I just, I'll just say that, yes, it does. So particularly if you're on a if you're doing sensory panels, the way you can combat this is doing things like spiking your samples occasionally um, to see if they fail it. If they say like, no, this has diacetyl or, you know, this has trans to or whatever, um, spiking samples as a way, again, not trying to trick anyone, but you know, you need to make sure that you're getting good data from your sensory panels. And I know I, I ran into that with sensory panels that I did where it would be like, we'll give you, this IPA, we're going to tell you it's this IPA, but actually it's this IPA. And as a way to be like, okay, are you going to fail the sample? As are, are you as a panelist doing your job of being very critical in what you're tasting? Or are you just doing like the default effect? And some people took that as like, oh, well, this is a game. And you're like, you're trying to trick mm-hmm. us or, you know, like, did you trick me this time? And like, did I get everything right? And it's like, it's not, you're not coming in to do a test. And so there's not like <laughs> a, a right or a wrong answer. Um Just taste the beer that's in front of you. So yeah, so that is a little bit about biases in sensory and what, what may happen. And like we said, um, we've said a few times, being aware of them helps. It doesn't eliminate them entirely, but it is good. And it's, I, and I know it's helpful for me too, Rachel, when we have conversations like this and it's like, oh yeah, like this one time I did this and that's what this is. Like now I can put a name to it so I can recognize when it's, if it's starting to happen again, um, I can recognize, recognize it and kind of shut it down. Thank you everyone for listening. This will wrap up the part two of our sensory episode. As you all know, I love to talk about sensory, so I'm sure we'll have more sensory episodes. Uh, But thank you for listening. You can find us on social media at Girls. You can reach out to us, falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. And you can visit our website, falsebottomgirls.com. This has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the Bruin world go round.